This is Transcend with Nat, where we're discovering our higher purpose and sharing stories and awarenesses along the path of transcendence. Hi, and welcome to the show today. I'm Nat. I'm your host. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership subject that I actually really love to talk about and love to research and observe and uh, something hopefully that you are going to be able to apply in your life so that you can be a greater demonstration of a great leader in your own lives. But to start, we always, so far, (laughs) this is the third episode, so... (laughs) Uh, So we always is not very long, but so far what we do to start is I talk about something that is on my mind, that is current, that I'm thinking about. So let's get into that first. So what's been on my mind lately is time and more specifically time management. I've spent a lot of time, a lot of my time learning and attempting to manage time. I've read books about time management. I've done courses on time management. I've had private sessions uh, with people who specialize in all of that. And the problem is, is that I found myself uh, earlier this year just thinking that I just kept, I kept hearing this voice in my head, just like, I don't have enough time. I wish I had more time. The one thing that is the most valuable is time because I don't have enough of it. And so I found that I was in a lot of lack about time. Uh, And I didn't know how to get out of that. Well, really, it's just that framework of time management that wasn't working for me. I couldn't succeed in that framework. So I changed the framework. I had this aha moment where I realized that time is like managing time is like trying to manage the waves of the ocean. The waves just keep coming in no matter what you think, what you do, how you try to manage them. And time just keeps going on no matter what you think or do or anything else. Time manages itself. And I have been a very poor manager of time. Uh, When I was younger than I am today, and when I was working with uh, my spiritual teacher, J.R., John Roger, he, I would get really overwhelmed about things and I would uh, talk to him about it, just how overwhelmed I was with all the things I had to do and all the deadlines and et cetera, et cetera. And he would tell me, just do what's in front of you to do. It is a very simple advice and it is very true, except for I was still trying to do what was in front of me to do while also trying to manage time. And It just didn't work uh, because I got caught in this this, uh, framework that just wasn't working. So what I realized is that instead of managing time, I am going to manage my energy. Instead of managing time, I'm going to manage my energy. And how do you manage your energy? You manage your energy by where you place your focus. So I decide where to place my focus, and my energy goes there. And then I don't really have to worry about time, which is the amazing thing. And how it functions in my day-to-day life is that I 
look at the beginning of the day. I'll look at uh, the things that are on my list of to-dos and look at what is the most important thing. Where can I place my energy? What is the most important place for me to put my energy? And in terms of uh, working, like if you have a job um, or a business, you can decide, look, I'm going to put my, where am I, where is the most important thing place for me to put my energy to accomplish the things that is important for this business or for what my job is. And if you look at it that way, instead of trying to manage time, it's really works for me a lot better. So I choose where I put my focus. I focus on that thing until I complete it. And I'm not really concerned about time. Now, I still schedule things. I mean, I still use a calendar. I still schedule meetings. And, and I, but also when scheduling meetings, it's making sure, well, is this, you know, important for my energy? Is this important use of my energy? And when scheduling, you know, different to-dos and things like that, it's, it's always that higher thing of where am I putting my energy? So time just becomes a tool. It just becomes something that we use versus something that we're trying to manage. And we manage the things that we can manage, which is our energy and our focus. That's worked amazingly for me. I find that I am much more uh, focused on what I'm doing. Number one, I don't have as many distractions. Uh, because I really choose to focus my energy on that and, and focus till completion. And because I'm choosing the things that are important for me to put my energy into, then I am being very productive because I'm getting done the important things. What's amazing is that I found that time has managed itself just fine. And not only that, but I actually end up with uh, a lot more time to do the things that I need to do. And I have a quote from uh, Alexander Graham Bell. He says, concentrate all your thoughts upon the work at hand. The sun's rays do not burn until brought to a focus. To me, that's a great quote because it kind of captures the imagery um, of what we're talking about. So anyway, that's what's been on my mind is I've been able to do away with time management and replace it with energy management and choosing where I place my focus. So it's really helped me as a different framework, as a framework that I can actually have success in. And so I wanted to share that with you. That's what's on my mind. And so let's get to the next part of the show. Leadership. What is leadership? Well, to me, I may have a very different view than a lot of people. Now, I think that there are great leaders, and I think there are positions of great leadership. And the two don't necessarily go together. Because to me, leadership has nothing to do with your position. It's how you choose to live your life regardless of your position. It is often by being put into a position of power one's greatness or corruption is magnified. But that greatness and corruption is already there. I wonder how many great leaders there are out there in the world today, right now, who 
are just not in a position of great leadership. So you really wouldn't know that these people are great leaders. So today I want to talk about how we can be greater leaders in our lives and how you can conduct yourself in a way that you would want any of your leaders to conduct themselves because you can demonstrate mastery and leadership wherever you are. So there are positions that inherently have power and leadership attached to them. But having a great leadership position doesn't make you a great leader. For example, the president of a country is a position that inherently has great leadership power and authority within the position. It really doesn't have much to do with who is occupying that position. Whoever occupies that position has great a great leadership position, but it doesn't make that person a great leader. And just because you're not in a great leadership position doesn't mean that you can't be a great leader in your life. Because what would happen if someone like uh, Lincoln, who we'll use an example in a little bit, wasn't president at such a volatile time? Would we even know of his brilliance? Or if Ben Franklin wasn't alive at his time and was at a different time? Or if Socrates was alive in medieval Europe or in tribal times in the Americas before colonization? Would we remember, would we know of his great intellect? See, so even though they may have had that and there may be many people who have greatness within them and who demonstrate that greatness in their ordinary lives, that doesn't mean that we all see them and know them because of the circumstances in their lives. And what I want to get to in this episode is to look at how each of us can be greater leaders in our life, how each of us can have greater mastery in our life so that if we do happen to come into a position of greater power, of greater leadership, that what's magnified by that position is greatness that we have been demonstrating consistently all along, even in the small things. Now, one of the things that probably most people don't get out of reading the book I'm about to quote, or not quote, but reference, um, is what I'm talking about. And, and that book is by Ayn Rand and it's Atlas Shrugged. Now, one of the things in that book is that you had these geniuses doing the most ordinary jobs, but they did those ordinary jobs with such mastery that only a genius would do. And to me, that is actually an, a great example of how we can have mastery in whatever position we find ourselves in and that we can strive to do better. Now, one of the things that I really like and I'm really into is reading. So you'll probably, through these episodes, 
I will reference and uh, quote and reference a lot of books because something I love to do is read. I get a lot of value in reading. Um, one of the things that uh, John Roger J.R., who's my spiritual teacher, that he taught me was what he said about great leadership and about great leaders is that they have the ability to get knowledge from information and then to apply that knowledge, which demonstrates their wisdom. So one of the things that I like to do is I like to read books. I like to get information, um, especially from history and from historical figures. I don't really even read it for, uh, you know, the facts of the hard, cold facts of this is the date and this is what happened. I'm more interested in what I, what value this can bring to my life and my intention of having a better life and uh, bettering myself and my behaviors. Uh, one of the interesting uh, disciplines that has been, I think, fairly recently coming, um, becoming more popular is something called applied history. And I actually read a great book um, called Destined for War, which is about uh, China and America's relationship. But what they did and what I found interesting and it's something I've been doing, not like they did it, but I've been doing something similar in how I look at history is that they looked through history at similar situations to what's happening now. And they looked at the outcomes of those situations of basically a superpower coming up and a, another superpower declining in their influence. And so what was interesting about this book is they went through history. They found 16 inst instances of this happening, 12 of which led to war and four of which uh, did not lead to war. And they looked at the various um, things that people did, uh, that the governments did, that the countries did, that um, the people in power did that either led to war or that led to peace. And they took, they take that information from all these times and they, they call it the Thucydides trap. And the book is about how we can avoid that trap. Now, something that I do when I read history, when I read about um, great individuals, is that I like to look at how they handle situations and the choices that they make and how I can apply that into my life. So when it comes to leadership, one of my favorite books that really demonstrates to me a great leader is the book Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. And that is by Doris Kearns Goodwin. So I'm going to use this book today and just point out one aspect of good leadership. It's something that we all can apply and use this aspect for greater leadership in our own lives. 
And that and so the story goes that after most people have heard of Gettysburg and Vicksburg and uh, the Union armies, they triumphed at Gettysburg. And the expectation that Lincoln had after, and others had after that um, success at that bloody, bloody battle was that the Union forces would press uh, the Confederate forces and be able to overtake Lee's army and end this bloody war. So Lincoln made it very clear and others to General Meade that he needed to press the attack and to finish the job before Lee was able to escape to Virginia. But what happened was that General Meade did not do that. He did not move. And Lee did get away. And it was something that was very, very troubling to the president, to Lincoln. Lincoln was said to have said, we had gone through all the labor of tilling and planting an enormous crop, and when it was ripe, we did not harvest it. So what? how did Lincoln handle this situation? And that's really the interesting part to me, because if you really put yourself in Lincoln's shoes and you really consider the weight of what he was dealing with, he was the leader of a country that was at civil war and people, citizens of that country on both sides were dying in mass. There, there was tens of thousands of people dying. It was extremely destructive to the country and to the families of the country. And it was a great weight to have to um, be a leader in that position. And then you have that, you have it in your grasp to end the war, to end the bloodshed. And all you need is your general to push the attack and it would be over. And he doesn't. And can you imagine the frustration? You know, you really put yourself into the understanding of this man. So he wrote a letter to Lee and I'm going to actually quote this book right now and read it to you. Um, what the letter said, it said that he was distressed immeasurably by the magnitude of the misfortune involved in Lee's escape. He was within your easy grasp and to have closed upon him would in connection with our other late successes have ended the war. As it is, the war will be prolonged indefinitely. Before sending the letter, which he knew would leave Meade disconsolate, Lincoln held back, as he often did when he was upset or angry, waiting for his emotions to settle. In the end, he placed the letter in an envelope inscribed to General Meade, never sent, never signed. That is something that, to me, speaks of great leadership was that, as Seneca said, the greatest remedy for anger is delay. 
Later on, Lincoln is was quoted as saying, I do not know that I could have given any different orders had I been with them myself. I have not fully made up my mind how I should behave when many balls were whistling and those great oblong shells shrieking in my ear. I might run away. So there, not only did he not send that letter that he wrote in the midst of his upset and disturbance, but later on, he even put himself in the shoes of the one that he was having trouble with who didn't finish this war and tried to find understanding from the other person's perspective. So those are two keys now to great leadership. And, and the first one is when you are in the midst of upset, when you're in the midst of disturbance, that you hold off on reacting and that you also, as your emotions settle, look to understand the situation from the other person's perspective. Now I'm going to play a, another clip on this matter, and this clip is by uh, John Roger, J.R., and it's from his seminar called Are You Surrendering Your Leadership? which you can get at msia.org. And this clip talks about how to not get caught in others or your own emotional frenzies. <laughs> We're in Australia, and a person said something that's interesting. And I said, yeah, I think that's interesting too. And he says, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what I mean by that's interesting means that's not worth the time to talk about it. It's a very polite way of saying, you're full of it and it's coming up. <laughs> and being an Australian, it was awful far to run to get home. So I decided that I would just be the real cute one. I wasn't too successful at it. Because he said, no, I'm really serious. What do you mean when you say interesting? And I say, well, what do you mean when you say interesting? He says, well, I know that. And I say, well, it's the same thing. <laughs> That's called fancy footwork. But I could have given in to the emotional frenzy that the other person was producing, get caught in it, and end up in a verbal battle. And if I won, that person loses. And guess who I've got as my enemy? And if I lose, guess who's going to walk out thinking that I don't have the authority to speak? Those are not nice positions to be in. Do not give over your personal leadership to emotional frenzies of your own or of somebody else's. So that is a great affirmation reminder um, of the demonstration we just had that Lincoln, that President Lincoln, how he handled his disturbance and anger. And J.R. just said it in another way. And we look at these type of things, and this is just one of many qualities that great leaders have, is to not get caught in their own or others' emotional frenzies. So now I'm going to end the show with a quote by Harry Truman. In reading the lives of great men, I found that the first victory they won was over themselves. Self-discipline with all of them came first.
I hope you enjoyed the show where we talked about the first step to great leadership and my different views on the differences between leadership and great leadership versus having a position of leadership that no matter where you are in your life, you can be a great leader. I hope to have you join us next time and thank you for listening.